What's up, people? All right. So you've heard uh, a lot today about things that you should be doing. Like, you should do these things. Um, and Brandon didn't have a lot of time to go into, like, specifically how you should do that thing. Well, I am going to do that. I am spending my entire talk giving you very specific details. Um, and so this is Tara's Design Best Practices for Core Accessibility Features. Or, as I like to call it, Tara's totally unofficial list of stuff. Um, you're not required to do any of these by really anyone, um, but you should. And I think you've heard plenty of good reasons today why you should, other than I know where you work, I'll find you, this is a threat. All right, so some of the things I'm covering today, like we're gonna talk about subtitles again, because video game subtitles are that bad. We're gonna talk about controls in general and how to make them not suck. Um, we're gonna talk about colorblind support. We covered it a little bit today. Um, I definitely have an opinion on if you should be using a filter or not. Don't. Uh, uh, we're gonna cover that. I'm gonna talk a little bit about documentation. Brandon hit on it at the end. And then probably other stuff, because my brain's everywhere. And so I just kind of, I literally was editing this until like Brandon's like, you need to put this on the computer now. And I was like, okay, I'll stop. So we got a bunch of random slides in here. So we're gonna start at the beginning, or as Christina Aguilera would put it, we are literally going back to basics. You know, Brandon gave this great talk at the beginning talking about how far we've come and everything we've done. I am still, this literally has slides that I ripped out of a talk that I gave six years ago. So for all of our advancements, we are still failing in profound ways. The fact that we're getting asked, how do you do subtitles well? What's a good example? And we literally don't have an example, still. So literally, back to basics. We're still driving these messages home. So. We've seen all this text. This is literally ripped out of the GMAS. There's a whole bunch of things on here and it means a whole lot. Oh my God, that's intimidating. No, what do I want? I want on-screen text for all speech, all speech in game. I want captions for important sounds and I don't just want cinematics. Like, it's that simple. That's what I'm saying when I want subtitles. And this was actually one of the slides that I interjected. Um, CNET did a survey years ago just asking the users on their website, how many of you are using subtitles? And you can see on the results, 79% of the users who responded to the survey were using subtitles. I don't think that 79% of the people on CNET are deaf. I could be wrong, but the likelihood of that is pretty low. So even with this large a percentage of gamers using subtitles, we're still really, really bad at it. We keep trying to reinvent the wheel. We don't need to. Subtitles have been around for years. Television has already done this. There have been studies. Like, we know how to make subtitles easy to comprehend. We know what people's reading speed is. We know all of this information already. And as game devs, we ignore it because we can do everything better. Except like, we're really proving we can't. We should just go look at the data that's already there. What are we seeing all the time? It's always the same problems. And you heard Chris talk about this. There's too much text on screen. It's either a hard to read font color and or choice. Um, no info on who's talking and not all VO is subtitled. And we see games that do some of these right, but finding one that hits all four of these, I, I couldn't think of an example. I can't think of a game that doesn't do at least one of these mistakes. I really keep picking on Destiny. We already did it, so he was nicer than I was. So. This is actually one of the pictures from my original presentation, which is why it hasn't aged very well. So this is yellow text on Venus, which I don't know if you can tell is a yellow level. 
makes it hard to read. It's actually overlapping with not one, but two UI elements. Um, the picture is getting so degraded, it's hard to see. So like, okay, so we can't read it. There's too much text on screen. It's overlapping with UI elements. Like, and this is a major AAA title, and we're still doing this. So what do you need to do? If you were to leave here today and take your first baby step towards making good subtitles, you need to, number one, have it centered at the bottom of the screen. You may have some sort of fancy that thinks that you should put it some other place for some weird reason. Don't. There's a reason we put them there. When you have it at the bottom of the screen and centered, it reduces the amount of time you have to spend looking back and forth, and it reduces eye strain, which is really important, because if a gamer is going to be reading a lot, you don't want to give them eye strain. You want to limit it to three lines of text at a time. And I say limit. You should really be at two, and in like extraordinary uh, circumstances, hit three. When you get that much text on screen, again, you can't actually watch the gameplay because you're spending your time reading the novel at the bottom of the screen. Um, the other thing, it needs to be in mixed case like this slide. So it's actually been scientifically proven that when you're reading in mixed case, your brain sees the word as a whole and comprehends it faster than if it's an all text and you're kind of processing each level individually. So you will speed up your user's read time by having it in mixed case. And I'm assuming at this point, like where I'm, Font options would be great. I will settle for people just using a sans serif font. That is the best thing you can do for digital screens to make it easier to read. Just pick a sans serif font. That's it. We'll start there. Because again, we have to go back to basics. And this one gets its own slide because I think this is really one of the biggest complaints. You have to have Tara's rule, because again, I know we work. 46 pixels tall at 1080p. Chris was talking about, as game devs, we work this far from our screen, and we test, and we can read this. What about the six-foot experience? What about the 10-foot experience? You need to be able to read from your couch. And if it is not 46 pixels or larger, because this is my minimum, at 1080p, your viewers will not be able to see it. So that's just the number. And if you want to make UI, like it also shouldn't be any smaller than like 28 pixels, but that didn't even get its slide. So I'm so busy trying to get to this day people just to make subtitles 46 pixels high. That's all I want. But that's not a great experience. If you've done those things, you've made road legal subtitles. Your bumper's a certain height off the ground. You've got seat belts. You have windshield wipers. You can drive that car on the road legally. But guess what? It has no radio. It has no air conditioning. Trying to get into second gear is a little wonky. Like, do any of us actually want to drive that car? No. So do we really want to use those subtitles? Not really, but subtitles are so bad in video games. That's literally what we'll settle for at this point. So we really need to talk about making them easy to read. And it's been brought up time and time again. And I'm going to keep beating that dead horse until someone carts it away. It needs to contrast with the background. You know, uh, 4.5 to 1 is what Brandon called out. You know, you can go all the way up to 7 to 1. If you can't ensure that your text will always be that contrasting with your game, you need to offer letterboxing. That's just it. If you can't guarantee that contrast, letterbox. And it can be a full black letterbox. It can be a partially transparent letterbox. 
you have to offer it. And you know, everyone keeps talking about Tomb Raider. You know, this is an example. So it does have blue text. They actually had the option for letterboxing. If they didn't have the letterboxing here, you would have lost this blue text into the background. So it's really, really important. And you're probably thinking, oh my god, Tara, but letterboxes are ugly and I don't like them. Fine, I don't care. Someone else wants them, though. Just give options. I think something else that's kept coming up today is about options. Let people choose what's right for them. What's right for one person may not be what's right for another. So provide options. And then again, list your speaker. There are so many times in video games that you will have one person over here off screen talking, another person off screen over here talking, and while they're talking, neither of them are labeled. So I actually don't know which of them is talking. Are they talking to themselves? Has one person left? I don't know. What if someone's calling in from the radio? That's actually another common one, that I'm communicating with a teammate you know, over in some world. I don't know which teammate is, which one needs help. You know, I don't know, they're not labeled. Like, it's really important. There are lots of ways you can do it. Just sticking their name at the front of talking, super easy. If you got a fancier game, like, you know, you can have them labeled there. Just, if you're watching a movie and you can hear who's talking, you're using their voice to differentiate them from other characters. If you lose that, you've lost information on who's speaking. Try imagine watching your favorite movie if everyone sounded the exact same and people are talking off screen. That's what's happening when we don't label a speaker. And systemic VO, oh man, this is another one that I always get. I've even worked on game titles, so before, before I was here, um, I came from game development originally, I was in game dev for about nine years, and I would have people be like, oh my god, Tara, like we heard what you said, we built this amazing subtitle system, and I'd be like, oh my god, it's gorgeous, and then I'd be playing it, and I'd be like, wait, there's no systemic VO happening. I don't know when someone's reloading. I don't know when someone needs help. I am missing all those cues. And they're like, oh yeah, we didn't do that. Okay, well then you didn't really subtitle your game. Systemic VO is super important. So I wanna talk about Overwatch. Almost all of Overwatch's VO is systemic. Think about when you're playing. When Farah goes to do uh, her missiles, you know that there's an ult getting ready to happen because you hear her, justice reigns from above. What if she's behind you and you can't hear? You don't know that's gonna happen. It's not subtitled, right? Like all of the important moments in Overwatch, you hear via characters' voice lines. They are all systemic VO. None of it is subtitled. All of the openings to so their special events have subtitles, their narrative dialogue, the pre-scripted moments, but none of the in-game systemic stuff. And arguably, which is more important? The systemic dialogue. It's not subtitled. So don't forget it. Just because you didn't hand script that VO for that moment doesn't mean it's not important. And the other thing I always get is like, oh my god, Tara, like, we have so much talking in our game though. Like we have a narrative and all this important story stuff like in addition to our system dialogue and now you're telling me I need to put in you know, stuff for captionings and these audio cues like oh my god it's too much. How am I gonna do this? Just make a cue you guys. Like you know which things are more important than other things, right? Like your story dog dialogue is probably the most important thing. Your systemic dialogue, probably pretty important but missing out on the story would be worse. And the audio cues, maybe not quite as important as that systemic dialogue, right? 
rank the options that you're putting into your subtitle system. And then when you're making a queue, you can drop things, and that'll be okay, right? You can't put too much stuff on screen. I've already said I'd yell at you for it, so dropping some of this lower stuff is okay. So in this example here, let's say you have a character dialogue story, that's our level one sound, starts playing. We know that character is gonna be speaking for two subtitle seconds, and then you know a second in, we have some less important combat VO that's happening, just drop it. Like, let that important subtitle stay on screen so it doesn't get lost. And then after it's removed, you can go back to playing your lower level combat VO, right? So I understand that on really action heavy games, there's gonna be a lot that's gonna be happening. But make sure the most important things get through. Um, nothing is worse. And the reason I call out this specifically is uh, there was a, I can't remember which one it was. There was a game I played that did have systemic dialogue uh, in the subtitles. And there was something very important happening in the story, like someone was getting ready to die, we needed to save them, and oh my god, reloading. And it pushed the subtitle off the screen before I could finish reading it. Like, don't, don't push away important narrative stuff for reloading. You should also say reloading, but not when sacrificing this more important stuff. So, and again, we've talked about this. This has been said like a million times, and I've talked about how we've come so far and are still making the same mistakes. We have AAA games launching this year that have already launched, you know, in 2018, where you still cannot turn the subtitles on before the game starts. Um, to really drive home the Far Cry 5 example, you launched the game and it immediately went into a story cinematic. You lost all of that story, and then you would get in game, turn the subtitles on, and then you'd have to exit back to the main menu and then start a new game to get that first scene with subtitles. It's still a major problem all the time, which is why it has its own slide. I wouldn't be harping on it if it weren't still really common. And I could probably do a whole talk on just visual and audio cues and representation and that information, but I'm not gonna go into that today. But I'll leave you with like a couple little nuggets. So sound alternatives. I know when I start talking about closed captioning, it's the first gut reaction I get from developers is, oh my God, that's gonna be so much text. What am I gonna do? This is gonna be terrible. No, no, no. Just because the sound is important doesn't mean you need to shove it into closed captions. So if you think way back, in the original Final Hill, you knew you were getting near monsters because the radio would go off. You get near a baddie, hear that weird radio. When you went forward a few generations, in the newer Silent Hill games, this is Silent Hill Homecoming, when you get near an enemy, the radio's there, but they also have an on-screen visual distortion. So it's telling you the same information without shoving more text on the screen. And there are a whole bunch of ways you can do that. That's just a simple one. I mean, honestly, a great example is if you go load up uh, Fortnite on a mobile device right now, they actually realize that no one plays games on their mobile phone with the sound on, and important gameplay elements like footsteps, where people were, where they were being shot from, all of that stuff, mobile players were losing. And so they added in these other options to help give direction and context for things that were happening. I really want them to bring this over to the console. They haven't done it yet. I'm harping on people. But you know, I'm just showing you, you don't always have to resort to shoving text on the screen. There are other, more creative ways that you can innovate now in regards to making games friendly to um, the deaf or hard of hearing. 
And you know, we kind of touched on communication. Like, there's a lot of stuff about you know, speech to text, text to speech. Oh my gosh, I hate that stuff. I get that it can be useful. That is not my style. You know what I like? I like when I'm playing, I need to be able to quickly communicate. Let me use a comm wheel. Like, give me my most important things that I'm going to say to people, and let me click it, and you know, quickly be able to respond and let people see what I'm talking about without me talking on a mic. Number one, I don't like using a mic because the gaming world is still really toxic for women. So I literally don't want to talk because the internet's a terrible place. I still want to tell those jackasses I'm playing with that I need healed, <laughs> right? So give me a way to do that that's quick, that's easy, that doesn't require me using like that stupid chat pad you plug into the, three, the Xbox controller. I mean, it's a fine chat pad, but it's also way slower. Now, Again, I could keep going, but I'm going to move on. We're going to hop into controls. Controls just gets its whole own segment. And again, I could probably do a whole separate talk on just how to make better controls. But let's just start by talking about our controller. Specifically, left trigger and right trigger. So those buttons require the greatest range of motion, the greatest range of input, and are most frequently the ones that people are wanting to remap. And why do they want to remap those? Because those are frequently the most important actions in a game. Think about the buttons that are left trigger, right trigger, gas break, aim fire, right? Key components to titles. I did a really unofficial Twitter survey once, and it was just like, when you guys remap, what are you doing and why? And about 80% of the responses I got were from people taking things that were on the trigger buttons and putting them on face buttons for the exact reasons that I was telling you. So this was just an example of, I think it was for Uncharted 2, where they wanted to get aim and fire off of the trigger buttons. Now, I know you guys are probably saying, oh my god, but Tara, like, what about that amazing controller, the Xbox Adaptive Controller? It's not, it's not solving this problem. It's solving many problems, but not this one. So the Xbox Adaptive Controller means more need for accessibility rather than less as it means more gamers with a broader range of abilities will be on the platform. This is a gateway. We are going to have more people coming to our platform, and we need to make sure we're supporting them. And like, don't get me wrong, like I straight up ugly cried when this came out. Like, this is actually, uh, this is partially Cherry's fault. I also blame her. Uh, I was live streaming talking about it, and like, you know, Mark and I, have, we've worked together for over 10 years, he's known me since I was a freshman in college. And as he mentioned, we would have never believed that this controller was possible. So like when I joked about ugly crying, like no, it's that big to the industry that I, I'm proud that I ugly cried because I didn't believe that this day would ever come. But it still doesn't solve the problem. And I know we hit on it a little bit earlier, but the platform level is a safeguard. It's also not the option. I mean, I know when I play games, I love having the wrong buttons displayed to me and then having to change it every time I get in and out of a car. Oh, wait, no, I'm sorry. No, that's terrible. When a game doesn't allow the player to remap it, that's what happens, though. The game doesn't know that you've remapped on the system level. So now, every time you're prompting me with A, but I know I've mapped it to right trigger, I have to mentally context switch, which means any QTE that shows up, I have failed. Because what's your instinct? You're going to hit whatever button's being displayed. And again, it also means that in games that have context switching, I can't adapt. So if I need one thing for driving a vehicle and I need another thing for when I'm walking around, I have to manually go back to the system menu to switch it every time. 
It was not a good experience. But really, where can we start in making controls better? Offer multiple control schemes. Like my rule is you need at least three, period. Like, no, you should have at least three. And what's really important is you need to mix up the actions when you're offering these. Like, don't just rehash the same you know, options but kind of moved around, no. I'm talking like, here I have action and reload paired and on the other side I have action and use cover because it allows gamers to choose what actions are most important to them while they're playing and move them to the buttons that are easiest for, for them. And that's really how we get into game level remapping because we've heard it, you know, Brandon talked about it, it's gonna be talked about again, we're gonna talk about it forever. This is the best solution. And there are really two ways to do it that are right for you. So if you're a game dev and you're like, wow, I really want to implement this, I don't even know where to start. Cool, do one of these two ways. So there's the list method or the button swap method. So I say use the list method if you have very simple controls or no context switching. So for example, a fighting game, that's one that this method uh, lends itself to greatly. Um, Overwatch also has it because the uh, heroes are always doing the same actions, right? The heroes aren't getting in and out of a car where all of a sudden they have a new set of you know, ways they're gonna be controlling. And it's really straightforward. So again, you're gonna start by letting them select one of the three control schemes that you've offered, and then literally just have them fill it out. And don't worry about it from there. If they wanna assign every button to the same button, or every control to the same button, just let them do it. Just let them test and figure out what's right for them. Give them the option to restore to defaults, but that's it. Like, don't think too hard about it. Most of the times when I talk to game developers and they're having problems with remappable controls, it's because they're literally overthinking it. Don't worry about it, it's fine. But you're like, oh my God, Tara, like that's great, but we're not a fighting game and I have like six different modes and the buttons do all sorts of crazy things and that is not gonna work. Also totally fine, I got a method for you. I call it the button swap. So this is Borderlands 2, and as you can see, like every button almost did, you know, three different things. And similarly, um, when I worked on Evolve, we had lots of buttons that did multiple things. And so this is actually the route that we went when we patched. So again, you want to start by letting the player choose one of your three control schemes. I really hope I'm driving this home that you should have at least three. And again, you want to make sure that you have the actions, you know, paired differently on your different sets and then literally ha let them pick one and swap the buttons. So on the left, I have action reload, use cover, and then I've literally just swapped them on the next set. And you're taking all of the actions associated with that button. I'm not saying let them switch action and use cover, but leave reload. Don't do that. Literally swap everything associated with that button to the new button. It's really straightforward. Um, if you wanna see a great example, go check out uh, evolve when they patched. I think it's great because it was my feature, but it was also just really good. I learned a lot, um, especially like taking what the Borderlands team did and making it even simpler to do, right? Just make it happen. Now, what I'm not saying, I am not saying, oh, I've changed all these buttons on the controller, now I have different menu inputs. Not what I'm saying at all. I'm talking about just in game. I'm not saying do stuff like have down and left on the joystick become the X input. It's not what I'm saying either. And I'm also not saying anything that violates any first party certification. And I wanna call this out because 
Um, like I've only been part of Xbox for a year, but before I was here, um, someone somewhere, I don't even remember how this got started, suggested that remapping buttons violated TCR TRC, which is not true. This doesn't violate anything on Sony's platform, Nintendo platform, or the Xbox platform. You can do this on every platform. And there are examples on every platform, but somehow there got this, there was this idea that if you did this, you weren't gonna be able to ship your title, you're gonna have to fix it. And that's not true. And I'm still correcting game devs today who for some reason think, even though there are first party examples on both platforms, that this is something that will make you fail certification. It's probably true, but the fact of the matter is, someone heard it and someone else was just like, oh, but they said, and here we are. I am for f several years being like, if one more person tells me that, I'm gonna punch a baby. <laughs> Dude, it makes me mad, it makes me mad. I try not to, I mean, that's probably why I don't have kids yet. It's the baby punching. <laughs> There's a j so I make jokes like this all the time, and then my mother-in-law always says stuff like, oh, she's not ready yet. I <laughs> feel, like, uh, <laughs> feel like I'm just showing that's still true. But anyway, when we're talking about controls and when we're talking about so many accessibility features, it's about options. Um, some of the stuff, again, you've already heard, pre uh, presets, um, joystick inversion, sensitivity, southpaw, you know, toggling aim and crouch and simple control schemes, right? You can pair all these together and so many people don't even need something like the Xbox Adaptive Controller if you give them all these options, right? We can do this. And the other thing that we talk about a lot, um, you know, is QTEs, like how do I handle QTEs in my control scheme? Um, you know, we talked about auto... QTE. A quick time event. Oh, I might, I have to yell. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, uh, yeah, so auto-passing roof timer, we've talked about this little, um, the one that no one's really touched on yet though is a single button press versus mashing. So sometimes the act of quickly responding and hitting a button isn't the problem. Sometimes it's quickly responding and repeatedly hitting the button, that's a problem. So, you know, give an option to not do that. Um, so this is Resident Evil 6. Um, it was a bad game, even though Brandon can play it. Uh, He's, he's right, it didn't have any of the things that made me love the Resident Evil franchise. So the auto action button, uh, Brandon mentioned this, so originally on the easy difficulty, and only the easy difficulty, you could turn this on and it would complete some QTEs for you. Uh, it actually became in such demand, they added it later, they patched it so that you could use it on any difficulty. Because basically what they found out was a lot of people liked and enjoyed the shooting portions but really hated or didn't do well at the quick time events. And it wasn't that they couldn't do the rest of the game, it was literally the quick time events were the problem. And so they added this option. And so, you know, I keep saying it again and again, I'm just talking about adding options. And I could keep talking and talking and talking about controls, so I'm going to. Um, assistive modes, you know, there's stuff like auto aiming, aim assist, enemy lock on. We kind of touched on a lot of this earlier. And the only one that hasn't really been hit on is auto center. So something that can actually be really helpful is if I'm playing a game and I'm aiming and then I move forward, recenter my cursor. Like that can be hugely beneficial because that reduces the amount of movement that I have to do. But enough on controllers. Like I said, I could keep going, but I'm gonna stop. 
we're going to talk about being colorblind friendly. So again, it sounds like a really simple concept. Don't convey information by color alone. And we still have a really large amount of common offenders who do this all the time. So uh, the, what you tend to see in charging item. So, oh, I can't use it yet, it's red. Oh, I can use it now, it's green. Uh, door locks, uh, team names, you know, that's something that happens all the time. Even in Evolve, we were bad about that. Mini Mac icons, player types, so, oh, you have, you know, healing is green and assault is red, same problem. Um, and puzzle games, puzzle games as like a genre are really, really terrible about this. So we keep saying don't convey information by color alone. So I have this very simple example. So on the left, you have two arrows that are the same shape. The only thing different about them is the color. That's bad. Don't do that one. That's, that's what we mean. On the other side, there are two arrows that are different shapes and different colors. That's good. Even if those were both black, you could tell the difference. That makes us happy. So do that. If you see concept art that looks like the left, send it back. And if you see concept art looks on the right, give them a high five, right? Now, when I worked on Evolve, and if you want to see what it's like to retrofit a title with accessibility features, I did a GDC talk a couple of years ago where I basically was just got given several engineers, and they were like, yeah, go, you have a whole patch to do whatever you want, Tara. And one of the things we did was colorblind mode. Um, our original ping system, so if I saw something in the world and I wanted to mark it, only had red and green circles. And that obviously was not colorblind friendly. So when we went to go update it, we went crazy. Um, in this photo, you can see that there are three different pings now. All three of them have a different shape. All three of them have a different color. And all three of them have a different icon. What was more important is now we're actually providing more information to the user than we actually were with the first time. Um, and we originally developed this for colorblind mode. And then while we were testing it, we were like, oh shit, this is just actually a better ping system. We should just use this for everybody. And we actually had several instances of what we built for colorblind mode getting pulled out of colorblind mode and implemented as just the normal feature because that's what you happen when you invest in doubling down on sharing information with your players. Uh, the other thing about colorblindness that sometimes gets lost is we talk about don't display information by color alone. Sometimes it is just gonna be your game that's causing the problem. So this is actually an example from Evolve where we had, um, this is Hank's orbital drill icon, so he's gonna call in a missile that hits. Uh, it's red, and it's in the swamp. And we're not saying this is ready, this is not ready. This is just literally uh, an effect we made not working well with the environment. So it's just something else that you kind of have to keep in mind. Now, we decided it was really important to us that we were going to invest in even capturing those. Like, we wanted to make the best colorblind mode ever. So we actually went through and made different versions of some of these uh, icons that, leveled into the, that loaded into the world with different colors. And what I really want to call out here is the only things that have changed are the footprints and the icon symbol between the two pictures. The world has not changed color. My skin has not changed color. Nothing else has changed color. What we see really frequently is when people are faced with something like this, they're like, I'm going to throw a filter on it. I'm going to be Overwatch. No. This is an actual screenshot from <laughs> the colorblind mode. So what they did was they identified the colors that were causing a problem. They picked a filter, slapped it on, they changed the colors, 
Now those colors weren't a problem, but it's like super ugly. And it also made colors that weren't a problem now a problem. Like Overwatch got a ton of flack about their color line mode. So if you want to use a filter, you better be applying it to specifically what's wrong. Because most of the time when people go to implement filters, you wind up with shit like this. Don't do that. This is ugly and bad. And if they had just had a colorblind person look at this, they probably would have been able to figure out this doesn't actually solve the problem we're trying to solve. So that's the worst part about this example is they went to solve the problem, wasted engineering resources because they actually just kind of exacerbated the problem they were trying to fix. Now, something else that we've, we've hit on, we've talked about here, are options for difficulty. So just a show of hands, uh, how many game devs here, when you go to make your difficulty levels, just adjust the easy, medium, hard slider? Right? Oh, none of you, because that's not how you make easy, medium, hard, right? When you're building your levels. You're playing with a ton of different variables that you're adjusting. You're not just doing one thing when making your different difficulty levels. You're touching a lot of things. You know, lives, enemy health, uh, you know, how much upgrades cost, timers, you know, a narrative mode, you know, less baddies or the same amount of baddies over a greatest amount of time, you know, more frequent help, penalty removal. Like you're touching all of these different things when you're making difficulty modes, right? Like you're not changing one variable. And so I wanted to call out this again, um, what you really can do to the player to give them the best experience rather than predefining what you think a difficulty level should be, those same variables that you would tune to set the difficulty level, just let the player do it for themselves. So for the example of Resident Evil 6, you know, the QTEs were the part that people wanted easier help with. They didn't want the rest of the game to be easier, they just wanted that part to be easier. How many more games are like that? A ton of them actually. So I actually think what's really interesting, and I wish I could remember what it was, as you adjust these different uh, sliders, you actually get a different name. So mine was Way of the Bold Eternal Resilient Warrior. And when Brandon had a screenshot of the same thing, he had different sliders, and he'd given it a different name. Like it was not so much about making the game easier or belittling, belittling the player for their choices, but showing that they have their own flavor of their play style. Now, something else that I really wanted to hit on um, and go into to more detail is when you guys make these features and you invest in these features, you have to tell people what you have done. There are so many examples of players who don't buy a game because they think they can't play it, or worse, buy a game only to find out they can't play it. And you know what is in your title. So, yes? So I, I actually have a, uh, I will, wait, oh, hold on a slide. Uh, so when I worked on Evolve, um, one of the things I did was I took the Able Gamers Includification, I took the Game Accessibility Guidelines, I took the Special Effect Wishlist, and I combined them all into a giant spreadsheet, I deleted the duplicates, and I literally graded Evolve on how accessible we were. And then also ranked all the items for amount of payoff versus work it would take to do this thing. The thing that was at the top of the list for most payoff and least work was literally making a blog post about a straightforward list of what features we had and what we didn't have. 
just straightforward. And we were honest, like, yes, we don't have remappable controls. Because when we launched it, we didn't. But we do have this. Like, and it wasn't about sugarcoating it. It wasn't about trying to sell copies. It was just, here is a piece of information. You decide what to do from here. And it was super simple. And then we went on, and after we made that list, we had a lot of feedback, and we were able to figure out what we needed to do. Like, colorblind mode, yeah, got to do that. Remappable controls, got to do that. We started on a column wheel. We started on a whole bunch of things. And then we literally put it on a live stream. We took the time to educate our community on what game accessibility was and why it was important. And that's how we avoided exactly what Mark was just talking about. Because we taught our players what it was and why it mattered and how it could affect them. We got buy-in. And it created this amazing community response. So a few things that happened. So number one, once our uh, community understood it, they were able to connect with some of their friends or relatives in new ways. They were like, oh, you know, my dad, he was in this machining accident, and so he doesn't really play games. But now I understand that with Raffle Controls, like, he could play this game with me. Like, it started teaching them how they could interact with other people. The second part was they started uh, learning about what accessibility was or what features may be accessibility features. And if someone was in the Evolve forum and they were like, oh, yeah, I would think it'd be great if we had this control option, someone would be like, oh, yeah, I really support that. I learned when Tara was on the live stream that this would be great for gamers with disabilities. They started supporting each other. The most important thing, though, and the thing I thought was coolest, was they, they brought that knowledge to the other games that they were playing. They would see other titles and be like, well, why don't you have remappable controls? I've learned how great this is. Can you ask for it? We basically created a community of allies. Like The amount of uh, gamers with disabilities that we had playing Evolve was quite small. But the amount of people that we had who became passionate about accessibility was large. And then after that, so um, one of the slides with the references of conferences, there was the Game Accessibility Conference, GA Comp. We actually got members from our community to sponsor um, the Game Accessibility Conference. There was a sponsor called Shara, which is Shane and Tara, me and my friend. We literally raised money from Evolve Bands to be sponsors for the concert. We were um, a bronze sponsor the first year, and we were a silver sponsor the next year. And it was just from gamers who had learned about accessibility from us as devs talking about it and why it was important. And that's huge. And the other thing is, when you talk about it, you normalize it. If we don't talk about it, if we don't address it, if we don't say why it's important, our audience doesn't know. They also don't know that we care. So you have to invest in that. And again, I could keep going and going and going and going, but I'm not going to. So what I really want to do is go back to my scorecard. So I talked about when I made the scorecard for Evolve. Um, that was a few years ago. After I did it, though, I made it public. I was just like, hey, guys, here's my scorecard. Here's how I figured out if I did anything right in Evolve. Go use it. And I put it out in the wild. And I actually had people use it, and I had people give me feedback. Um, actually, at the Game Accessibility Conference this year, people came up to me, and they were like, oh my god, Tara, I used it. And I was like, oh my god, was it useful? And they were like, you clearly made that for you, because there's a lot of prerequisite knowledge required to use the spreadsheet you just made. And I was like, that is very accurate. I made it for me, and then just shared it. So I did it again. Um, I spent the time redoing it, and I've been trying to break it down into ways that you can figure out, does this apply to you? Um, is it something you should think about? Who on your team should think about it? And then you basically you know, fill out the drop down, 
um, say if you implemented it, if you didn't, if you kind of did it. Um, it'll kick out a score, and then it'll give you a scorecard, so you can kind of see where you're falling down. So this is, I'm going to say version 2.0. Like, there's definitely more I want to do, but this is like not work I do here. This is work I do in my free time. But again, like, I'm going to be tweeting this out, and I want everyone to use it. I want everyone to provide feedback. Like, and if all else fails, it's just a way for you to maybe get an idea on how to make your title better, because that's all I really want. It's all of us to make our games more accessible. So that's all I have, and I think I have a, I've got five minutes for questions now. I tried to like speed it up so I could still have some question time. Come on, somebody. Uh, how hard was it for you to um, influence these requirements to the game developers for the games that you worked on or supported? Uh, so it depended on the game and where we were in the cycle, to be honest. Um, some, if I get there early enough, it's always super easy. It's when you come in late that it's a problem. Um, Evolve was actually, funny enough, although the game had launched the easiest. Um, I remember when I went to talk to Chris and Phil about how we did it, like I made this whole deck and I was selling it like Mark talked about, about the audience we can reach. And I got on like slide two and they're like, well, we just don't wanna be shitty people, we should do this. And I was just like, oh, but I worked really hard on this deck. Um, <laughs> and they were like, yeah, here's some engineers, go. Um, but it really does depend on how far in the pipeline you are. The earlier in the pipeline you are, the easy it is. Because you can just make decisions where you don't have to tack on extra stuff, right? Uh, because the truth of the matter is that game developers are problem solvers. And the problem is that they don't understand what the problem is yet. So once you show them what the problem is, they will get it and they will work on it. It just doesn't work out if it's just like, oh, hey, we are like three weeks away from certing. Probably not going to make a lot of headway. But like when I talk to developers and they understand the problem, like I've, um, I didn't have an experience nearly as bad as what Mark had with Rockstar. Like normally when I show up and I'm like, hi, here's my friend, like we're gonna do game accessibility, right? They're just like, oh shit, Tara's here, she'll keep us accountable. Yeah, we'll do it. Uh, <laughs> but it really is very dependent on the pipeline. So I feel like that's like half the answer you wanted. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> what else we got? Mark, back there. Oh. No, 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 no. Yeah, we so we can have it on the recording. For posterity's sake, we're recording this. So, Tara, as you know, we've come a long way in the last couple of years. Um, give us your idea of what the next five years looks like. Oh, it's, it's still so hard to wrap my head around because, like, the things that we're building right now are amazing. But for me, what I, where I hope I, we go is that right now, We've made some amazing things for people who are shipping on the Xbox, right? But what about people who are making games on the Switch? What about people who are using Steam or the PS4? Um, my real vision is that you know some of the awesome stuff that we're building and other teams are building. Like I used to work at PlayStation. I know what accessibility tools they're working on. Like I want all of us to to share it. I would love for our speech to text, text to speech, to be like up in the cloud where you know someone developing a Sony exclusive can use it. I think my real vision is more sharing of our tech and then really investing in our middleware. 
like, let's be honest, like, so much of what we're building is really far down the pipeline. And we need to be able to give developers tools before they're ready for it to hit on the Xbox, right? Like, we need to work with Unreal. We need to work with Unity. We need investments in the engine level. And I think that's where we have to go and where we have to invest in the next five years to be successful.